Welcome back to the podcast, Attack for 20. It's been a long hiatus, I think over three weeks. I have today with me fellow Runaways team member, Daniel Rakowski. Hey, thanks for having me. And we're going to go over Dan's run at Worlds. Let's uh, start at the beginning, even before the, um, the event started. We had put together the team. It was kind of like, not haphazard, it was very quick. In the works, still in the works, still yeah. being finalized. Yeah, so we were, we had got together a group of people that we had all played um, Flesh and Blood with in the past. We knew that they were like pretty good players to like test. Weren't really sure, didn't have like a set testing plan um, at the beginning of the process. How was the... Yeah, we kind of figured it out as we went. Yeah, how was the testing process for you? Oh, that's a good question. So I think that one of the biggest things is we had a consistent schedule, at least, which is good to make sure we like gathered all the minds at the same time. We took a bit more of a data-driven approach, kind of tracking games and that that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I, th I thought it was all good. We added some testing partners for the event, which were very helpful. A lot of them were outside of our, or at least some of them were outside of our usual like testing group. Mm -hmm. So there's some like outside perspectives that really helped with some like that card decisions and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought our testing was very effective considering it was our first like attempt at structuring it. Yeah. What did you think? I thought that for the most part that it was overall pretty good. Everyone who participated provided some level of feedback that was important, I think, to the final product. And okay. if I was to change anything moving forward i would just have like a firmer deadline for when it is that we have to like figure out answers to certain questions by i think that the only i guess regret that i have was that we took so long to finalize on fi yeah i definitely agree with that too um yeah i think the big thing especially with like how that format was like just being only five rounds of cc and only five rounds of blitz and the cc rounds were kind of like almost completely random what you play against because mm -hmm. they're right after draft yep uh it just felt like the most important thing was to like commit and make sure your strategies and sideboards are as optimal as possible yeah i think if i was to change anything about the deck i would have liked to have maybe two flame waves like find the space for that but uh, I... where, where would you like why did you want those i just think that it's like an additional card like the CNC in the Fi matchup that I think can kind of tip the aggro matchup a little bit more in your favor so you get like a little bit more control there as well as being like a pretty strong card I think against Oldham. Okay, so you wanted to more fit it in like the main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wanted to have like a little bit more like consistent. So maybe main two yellow belittles or something to support. Yeah, I mean even like the one that you can tutor up I think is already like fine. I didn't think that there was like any like want for for resources i actually i lost some, <laughs> i lost some like i lost like the two of my cc games uh on that weekend to drawing quad blues which yeah. is like pretty unlikely but did, did you run the numbers on that i think it's around two percent or like one and a half no, no, it's like it's like 0.3 percent yeah, yeah okay yeah <laughs> it was pretty pretty brutal to happen twice one time yeah. i had a I was playing against Youngji, it was going to be like a team kill, and I had him at like 2 health, and I had gotten to, I would have been able to keep like 3 cards, 
and he's at mm -hmm. two, but I drew a quad blue hand, so my three card mm -hmm. hand only does five damage. Yep. And that was pretty, pretty bad. Rough. Pretty bad. Um, no, you're, you're right, though, on the, the lack of belittle. I forgot that with uh, Pouncing Links. If, like, if resources are the thing you need to keep pressure, then you always have access to it. Yeah, I, I think I think that's like the only thing that I wish that we had a little bit more time. I think overall, I had a pretty positive feeling about the about the testing process. I think that everybody participated in it pretty well. Yep, I agree. So, Certainly worked out well. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Like they, I think the deck performed very well. Both decks. I, I think the we like channeled all of our luck into you. <laughs> And okay. then and then everyone on Chris's team channeled all their luck into his semifinals <laughs> game. Uh, but before yeah. we jump the gun on that, let's just um, go through. Uh, you had kind of prepared, kind of a recap of the event in general, uh, how you felt. Yeah, for sure. So I, I wrote up a whole recap because we're, I don't know, what are we, three weeks away from the event now? Four, yeah. Four weeks. Make sure I remember everything. So I'll start going through it, I guess, to stop me if you want to do like certain chunks at a time. Yeah, go ahead. Um. But starting from like pre-event arriving there, uh, I got in Thursday afternoon. It was like an early AM flight out of New York City. So it was like I stayed at a friend's house to be closer because there's a lot of traffic getting there. So it was like long morning is the point there. Got into the house. We were staying, both of us, at the, the Equinox house. They were kind enough to host us, them in Fabric, uh, which is super cool. Thanks again for that. Oh, yeah. Shout out to, uh, yeah, shout out to Equinox, Fabric. I think it's Alex Keeler and uh, Bilal. Uh, his name on Facebook is Boris, uh, but I don't know if that's his. If that's his real name. Uh, he was referred in the in, in all of the chats as Bilal. There are two guys who have kind of made it their mission to try to be able to bring flesh and blood players or just like card players, um, in addition to uh, the other work that they do in other games, to be able to like attend these events. Super cool stuff they're doing. So I got to the house, immediate energy. As soon as I walked in, Ethan and Brody were streaming and playing some testing games on stream. It was us four in the house and, and Young G. We're, we're pretty close to the convention center, not too far. I think it was like a 10-minute ride. Uh, big thanks to, to Brody's mom, too, for kind of carpooling us around yeah, yeah, yeah. to the convention center and back. A lot of MVPs. Uh, yes, agreed. Uh, oh, before the house, we stopped for lunch, uh, like right next to the convention center. There was this like really cool... Kind of like market. I thought of it as like a miniature Reading terminal in Philly, if you know that. Uh, we just had like a couple, maybe like 10 to 12 different little food options in one one like little food court. But all the food was like insanely good. I, I think I ate there every meal except for one. And like when we were there, we discovered this healthy food option vendor who made these fruit and veggie juices that I lived off of for tournament rounds. I try to like not fill up too much. Having access to like optimal nutrition that's also not filling was super helpful actually give a lot of credit to my success to that but yeah no got to the house immediately just started testing i think i had planned to like take a nap obviously i couldn't get too much sleep the night before getting up early for the flight but as as soon as i walked in like brody had a question about our blitz deck i was like okay let's play and figure everything out so we jammed as late as we could we went to the banquet i don't think we need to cover the banquet too much most people did already but yeah we got there we saw the line we're like we don't have time for this. So we like socialized a little bit outside of the event, just with everybody on the line. And then we went back to test some more and submit our deck lists. Agreed. I think the banquet was poorly prepared for, or rather it, like maybe they just didn't expect the number of people uh, that they ended up getting. I think if it would have been fine if like half the number of people 
had planned to attend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine they had the venue like contracted and booked before they opened up sales to the public, right? Did they sell spots to the public? I yeah, it was there was like the highest calling package. Okay, sure. Or like the Fable calling package. There yeah. was like a plus fifty dollar one that also got you into the banquet. I think even if they had only accommodated all of the world's players, it would have still been a little bit cramped. That's but, fair. But yeah, I think um, it was nice to see everybody on on the line. No, hanging out of... was actually pretty fun outside. Yeah, I heard that there was a lot of uh, shenanigans going on inside. How do you mean? Uh, just like uh, a lot of like the LSS employees were there, and there was a lot of alcohol going around. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, see, that that's something I want to avoid, and I also want to avoid pizza before an event. So like, it just seemed like really bad value for me to wait <laughs> to get inside. There's there's like a tension if you're like a very dedicated competitive player between the social aspect of these large events okay. and the actual competitive side of the large events. I mean, I know a lot of people every, after like every day of the tournament, they would go out to uh, to socialize, to have drinks, to hang out, play games, like side games, drafts, whatever. I, I did that a decent amount at Lille and I had a, a lot of fun, but I think at the same time, if you're really locked in on doing really well, I think you just wanna go home and sleep, right? Totally agree. I think the best part of going X3 on a day one is that you can kind of hedge and have fun that night. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if I'm if I'm like anywhere near the top, if I have a run at top eight, all I want to do is eat something fast, make sure I'm prepped for tomorrow, go to bed. So after uh, the first day, uh, or like the day before, it's Friday. How did you feel about the flag procession and like the whole like event like surrounding? Oh yeah, the beginning? yeah. I forgot about the kickoff. Yeah, so uh, sat down. Uh, so I was towards the back, which meant like I was close to where they stood with the flags after, and it was actually the seat in front of me was empty. So like James White's family ended up sitting there, which is kind of cool. I didn't talk to them or anything. Um, but yeah, first I was like, I'm not sure how the execution of this will be like it might come off as like kind of lame if it's not done well yeah um but as soon as it kicked off and like the first country got excited to see their their flag bear walking i was like okay this is really cool so you know i, I thought it was a super nice and cool touch i think all of the countries are really into it yeah i think it's a timely thing to talk about right now because there's also the world cup going on i think it's like a weird thing where i uh, hate hate or love like all of the controversy surrounding the world cup but i think there's something special about get, getting together and kind of like rooting for the country that you associate with and like really brings a lot of people together that otherwise normally wouldn't have like been doing that yeah i totally agree it's fun to to feel proud for something and have something to cheer for uh i think after that if i remember correctly the time between like the players meeting and starting draft was actually quite good mm -hmm. like remember at us nationals it was like absurdly long oh yeah, yeah yeah it was like over an hour um so i remember that being done really well yeah i'll go through my first draft then uh based on my notes mostly because this was a while ago yeah so i remember my first pack i was able to send like the clear five signal basically take a Phi common when there's only two in the pack, no absurd rares or anything. And that's like always where I want to be in Uprising Draft. If I can say, be, tell the person to my left, like, hey, I'm playing Phi and I'm taking like a red starter or something good, then that's a great spot. 
So I did that. I kept taking five cards. Uh, I remember through like maybe four picks. I started questioning, like, am I letting nerves get the better of me? Am I just forcing Fi like too much here? Because it's like the easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, which I think it was good that I at least like took the took a moment to consider that. And like obviously then I was like considering, okay, what are my pivot options? What else has seemed maybe open? Uh, but then the Fi signals just kept coming and committed to Fi, pick one, got to keep going. So it was a pretty good deck. I think the real power was I got two lava bursts in there. And I ended up uh, losing the dice roll. All three of those rounds went first every game. I don't remember exactly the three decks I played against, but I want to say it was two Fies and a Dromai. And I believe I double Lava Burst did in... I know I did in at least two of the games. It might have been all three um, to kind of come back uh, to win to win all of those 3-0. You need like some kind of power spike card like that usually to catch up. Yeah, I think like being able to like three card 12 with the Lava Burst is super strong. Yeah, so my example was I, I meant like Lava Burst on the same turn. Oh, well, with uh, the tide flippers. Uh, four card, four card 17 is also <laughs> pretty good. So yeah, it was kind of uninteresting other than going first all three games, but it was it was a standard five. Like, I had more damage, so I won those games. We're probably at the end of doing any kind of like uprising drafts and large-scale competitive events. How do you feel about uh, the draft format as a whole? Um, I'd say my opinion changed like after every event. I enjoy the gameplay a lot. Obviously, some of the five matchups can feel not super interesting because it's if you have the right damage, you just do the damage and win. I certainly agree with everyone that like the drafting process is kind of rough. Like at some point, you're just stuck in a deck. I do think there's a lot more you can do during the draft than people either realize or like give credit to avoid those situations. In this format, more than any, like signaling is kind of everything. Like, I'll go out of my way to take, like, a blue starter just to show everyone else at the table that, like, you can't play Fi or something like that. And yeah. then doing things like signaling one thing and then jumping ship. I, I think it's a lot you have to navigate in the draft and, like, to not put yourself in a spot where you can get stuck. But I do think sometimes it's not totally your fault and you just kind of, you're in the wrong seat and it's hard. And the whole, like, go first versus second thing, if you asked me before Worlds, I would have been like... Yeah, that's pretty big issue, but I actually ended up, just spoiler alert, going first in all six of my draft games and winning all six of them. So I'm not sure how to feel about that stat anymore. Yeah, I think going second is particularly for five very important. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of the early opinions are forming around people who are definitely playing five because it's like the most comfortable, I think, here at the draft, most, most straightforward. But I actually think that uh, both of the other heroes do have like a lot more play going first than uh, what's it called than Phi does. Yeah, Dromai especially, which we'll talk about in the second draft. Yep. Yeah, I guess we'll move on to CC. So three zero after your drafts, that always feels great. And uprising, there's a lot of like variants involved in the games too. So yeah, feeling good. Um, CC's had to have been my most comfortable format playing five for the past few. Uh, like major events. So I actually ended up playing three Bravo Showstoppers in a row, which is just wild. I think there's like 12 in total at the event. <laughs> Do you think that's lucky um, or unlucky for you? I thought it was very lucky. Especially like being back to back to back, it was like I was in the flow of the matchup mm -hmm. after the first one. But yeah, no, I have that as like, not free, but like I'd probably give it like a 70-30 in Fi's favor. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting because I think I feel the same way, but I know that a lot of uh, outside opinions going into like both the national season and also 
worlds was thinking that bravo even like though he might have some unfavorable matchups into other heroes was like favored into fly but i yeah. i think we didn't ever really feel that was the case no i think if maybe if you're playing like combo fi and i don't know, like depending on your game plan and the cards that you present it uh -huh. can be a hard matchup but i think we kind of locked in pretty early like even before nationals like this is how you beat bravo and then it's kind of just easy uh, there's still certainly like ways to lose like they can if you like whiff on a turn and they loop disruption that kind of thing uh, like once their pummels i think start being an issue is when it's like you have to take some risks and then you can get punished but yeah, no, I think we kind of identified, like, turning into a grinding matchup, like, we'll just end up having more efficient damage than they will, other than, I guess, their weapon is pretty efficient. I'm not sure. I talk about the, the matchup, but we both do a little bit in the uh, the deck tech we put together. Yeah, if you guys haven't checked it out, uh, on the Runaways YouTube channel, there's there's a deck tech video where we kind of go over the changes that we made, going from uh, Nationals to Worlds, uh, a little bit into how we decided that we wanted to play, like the reasons why we made the changes and where to play the cards. I, I think that once you get past Bravo's armor, like once Bravo uses up all his armor, then it's really difficult for Bravo to play around masculine momentum i agree yeah no the armor is really important you're kind of like doing a dance you could say until you get it all and then it's kind of you're forcing them to give up their cards so they can't pressure anymore um so yeah, after the three bravos uh, i did win all of those one of them was on stream was kind of like it was the way that you lose the matchup right i was like drawing i think i got one four blue hand and mm -hmm. things weren't lining up well the disruption was actually disruptive but i managed to kind of steal it at the end we were in the kind of like i present my three card loop he was able to answer or he gets to present his weapon but i'm at one so now he's taking two cards and when that loop started i got lucky and, and found my uh sink below so i got to kind of just end the game but yeah after those i got a five mirror this was just one of those high roll games that you get for free you usually get one or two each tournament when you play a deck like fire or briar or chain yeah uh, i think i I, I might have drawn a an art of war a turn for three turns and the game just ended <laughs> yeah um, it, it was a not game which is great you definitely take those in big events uh the last round i played against uh, isaac Kroot on old him yep. at, i didn't realize at the time but i think this round took place around like 6 p.m uh and i got in the last night so jet lag was hitting me pretty hard because it was like 10 p.m hour time and mm -hmm. like basically waking up playing flesh and blood and now it's 10 p.m already was pretty rough something i struggled with at nats pretty bad was the like mental fatigue and physical fatigue just from how long the days were honestly most big events i can account at least one game each day where i made mistakes due to fatigue that could have been prevented yeah. so that's a big thing i've been working on but that did get the better of me this game too i made one crucial mistake uh which put me into pretty much a, a losing position game was over at that point um i was in a tough spot anyway it was Again, one of those games where like the disruption was lining up really well, wasn't finding the right pressure. Isaac certainly played very well, so I lost that one. It was like the backup stream game, so luckily they didn't show it because I was <laughs> a bit embarrassed about my mistake. It wasn't that bad. I just forgot to uh, uh, use my Snapdragons as an attack reaction for go again. I was just like, without thinking, I was like, yeah, no reactions. And I was like, oh, wait. Uh, so yeah, that was the end of CC. So I ended the day 7-1. I think I was in second place at that point. But yeah, certainly felt like a great place to be. Going undefeated would have been amazing. Like, usually you feel really good in that spot because I think you, what would you have to go the next day? Five I mean, and three? 
I think you can go four and four the next day if you're undefeated. Yes, agreed. You can go four and four. Unless you like go all four, maybe. It's such a good spot to me, but I was very happy to be X1. Uh, like we said earlier, as soon as I ended in that spot, people were like asking me what I want to do for dinner, and I was like, I want to get something healthy and fast and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that is what I did. I went back to the market, got something that I could heat up for breakfast too, and then we just went to bed. Day two, you begin your second draft. I think up until this point for your, all of your uprising drafts at these like major events, you've drafted five. Uh, yeah, that's accurate. I did and, both rounds at Nationals. Yep. And I remember in our... Um, we were just like playing locals uh, a draft, and then you were like, "I I just wanna force draw my one time just to see if if I can <laughs> if I can play the cards." Yeah. And if I remember correctly, you hadn't actually been able to do that. Uh, I think I I think I was able to one time. I played um the weekend before Worlds. I went to I think two different locals, and I was able to play draw my once or twice. Yeah. No, my confidence. So I drafted draw my obviously on my second draft, which. I was reluctant to do like I had the same thing where I got to send a great Fi signal saying stay out of the way. That pack one was actually super interesting. So it had uh, two of the Dromai boots, can't remember the name, and one red rake in the pack. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to send a strong Fi signal. So I'm like, I'm taking this Fi signal. If either of those Dromai cards come back, like if there's two of the three in the pack, I should probably switch to Dromai if Fi's cut. So that was the plan. Pick three was missing a Fi common. So I kind of have a choice there, right? I can start hedging on Dromai, or I can cut the second Phi common and to send like the really strong signal and kind of like stay the course, make other people move. So that's what I did. I took yeah. the second Phi common. I actually find myself in that position a lot, and I find it kind of scary to take the Phi card, even though uh, retrospectively it's correct, I would say, around like half the time. That's fair. Yeah, I've been... Towards the end of like uprising draft, I've I'd, I'd found myself doing that quite often, um, but this time it was like because I had like the knowledge to track that like if these draw my cards come back, then like I know mm -hmm. like, I had a backup plan. But after I did that, in my mind, I was still like, okay, we should hedge on draw my in case I have to abort. So I, I might have hedged like two cards by the time my first pack got back to me, and all three of the cards came back, so both boots and the red rake. Yep. So I, I felt pretty confident that like nobody was hard committed to Dromai. So I, I moved in, thought about it for a moment, but it was kind of like, all right, let's ignore all these good five cards we got. We're playing Dromai now. Uh, that paid off great. The person to my left ended up doing the same thing, but he didn't move in until like beginning of pack two. So I pretty much just got fed for the, for the entire draft. We split cards a bit, obviously, pack two, but pack three, because I was picking first, I got to kind of fill out anything I needed. So I was happy with how I navigated that draft. My deck felt like it was pretty great. With my lack of like draw my games, I wasn't sure just how good. As you kind of saw on stream, though, it was pretty optimal. Like it was, it was a pretty insane deck. Again, I went first all three games, but like as draw my against Fi specifically. No, both decks. Fi and Icelander. Uh, if you just slam any dragon, like it, it forces them to deal with it on their first turn, and it buys you time. So my deck had four dragons, two rake the embers. And then it had four copies of Dunebreaker and four copies of Ember Moss and a Pie. And it mm -hmm. had two dust-ups. So my whole game plan going first was, please find a dragon so I can distract them and then hit them for like big numbers every turn and make them block. Uh, and it, just, it worked out. Uh, each game, I either got to make one or more uh, Ash Wings, or I got to play a dragon and then kind of time walk their first turn. Um, I think I played against one fine, two Icelanders, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, it felt like my deck almost couldn't lose to Icelander. 
Yeah, that matchup is usually pretty tough for the, for the Icelander. Yep. The Fi game I remember being super tense, though. Um, I think that was actually against Rob, uh, who I played later in the quarterfinals. Like, I had things I, like, had to do to, to keep afloat. Like, I had to find a turn one dragon, or I think I lose. Um, and I think that game, like, the first turn that he was free to attack me, I think I drew into Kyloria plus Mirror Guy. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my pivot turn where I like tank his damage down to six or whatever. But then I go, here's two dragons that like you have to deal with. Plus they get to attack. I forget how the game finished, but that one was tight. Uh, went 3-0 in that draft too. So now I'm 10-1 going into Blitz, which is exciting and nerve-wracking. Just need two wins, which kind of like, to me, that means like I, sh I should I should top, uh, which, which adds some additional pressure where it's like, don't mess this up kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, moving into Blitz. Uh, I was playing Icelander, hadn't mentioned that too much yet. Um, our team was a little split on Blitz decks. You guys, you, you end up with a pretty spicy deck. I don't know if you want to mention oh, anything yeah. there. I was going to play Levia. Didn't actually get to day two of Worlds. It would have been pretty good into Icelander, uh, which everybody, at least I think should have, came to the conclusion that Icelander was probably the best deck in Blitz with only like a moderately... Difficult matchup in Prism, I think, and I think a pretty difficult matchup in Levia. But I don't think a lot of people would bring Levia to Worlds. Mm -hmm. You know, Levia was definitely overperforming in Blitz, and yeah, even it didn't take too many games of testing Icelander to be like, okay, this deck is. I just felt like the deck should win every game if you play it correctly, uh, even against Prism. Um, Prism has lines where like you do just lose like double Genesis or whatever. Yeah, and I was really happy. Shout out to Brody with like, we worked on our Icelander build together a lot. I like to go really deep <laughs> when I'm testing. Like I like to take a base that works and then like commit probably too hard to like a different concept for the deck. Yeah. Uh, and then I need someone like Brody or or you or Shane for Fi to bring me back to to the base and just tweak a card or two based on what I've learned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we did a really good job the night before of like getting back to the build that was performing and. Uh, shout out to Aaron, too, who convinced us on the Sigil of Solace tech. That card actually won me a couple of games. Yeah, I think some um, people are actually even playing two. I think you, you were playing one. Yeah, we were playing one. I can see playing two. Like, it, it was quite good, but like it felt like you only really want to find one per game. Yeah. Um, like, if you found two, they, it's kind of like diminishing returns, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, increasing your chances to draw one, I understand it for sure. But, yeah, going into the games, I played against... Uh, Joe Cologne, the first Blitz round, he was on Oldham. I felt behind pretty early. It was honestly a big thing for like most of my games at Worlds. I was, I was playing from behind a lot. Where like at Nationals, I felt like I had pretty great luck and I was playing well, so I was kind of just like rolling. Um, where I felt like I was fighting a lot more at Worlds. But yeah, this game I was like pretty far behind. Kind of had to like play to my outs pretty early. I took a few risks. Which, like, Icelander kind of lets you do because, like, every set card represents a blue, even if it's not. Break points that your opponent at least has to consider respecting. I forget specifically what happened, but I basically represented things in that way. My opponent kind of committed to a hammer pummel line, I think it was, and the sigil let me survive at one and then present, like, an ice vein back or something. Uh, so very tight game. Definitely could have lost that one, but I got that win, which felt huge. Uh, certainly needed to win one of the next four, which felt like a very comfortable place to be next round i play against chain which i think i played against rob again maybe, maybe one of those are wrong 
I'm pretty sure the chain was Rob, though. So he presented zero AB. So right away, I'm like, okay, we just try and control his turns with Frostbites and uh, Hypothermia, Channel Lake, and we chip until his health goes to zero. The game went longer than I'd like, because like obviously chain scales significantly the later the game goes with his card advantage. Um, but because of the zero AB, I was, I was just able to keep chipping, disrupt chip, uh, and I got that one. And that was the lock for top eight. Huge relief at that point, obviously. At that point, I was still playing for the one seed, so I was, I was still pretty focused. The next round was an Icelander Mirror. Um, very tight game again. Like, I th feel like the Mirror always is. I presented Skullcap. My opponent did not. The Skullcap's interesting there with the... Kind of incentivizes you to fall behind on life so that you can block both physical damage and uh, Aether Ice Veins. And that's kind of ended up being how the game ended. I fell... I forget how, how we got there, but I was ahead on life, and then either I chose to or I just fell behind at the end. He had a nice vein that otherwise I think would have ended the game right there, but instead I was able to AB it and kind of pull ahead. Uh, we talked to Adver, and both of us were like, yeah, if either one of us found a Sigil of Solace, that probably would have swung the game. Mm -hmm. And he was playing too, so maybe a little lucky. They didn't find it, but that game meant I was guaranteed one or two seed, where only, and I apologize, I forget his name, um, but is, I, I made is, several mistakes. Is Vietfam from Germany? Yes, yes thank you. Um, I made several mistakes. He was playing Prism. Um, I, I felt like I had the lines to win that game. I, I tried popping a Phantasm attack when he had the aura that takes away Phantasm. It, it was just several things. I like completely turned off my brain, and I deserved to lose that game, and I did. Um, and then the next round, I'm like, okay, that was a little loose of me. Like... Let's let's focus up and, and try to get this one seed if we can. I play against another Prism. He opened with Genesis. And he he got at least one aura every turn, I think. So it was kind of a, a fight from the beginning. I remember at one point, like I finally got through the last aura, but it cost me giving him ten spectral shields. Yeah. And then I set up I set up I, I was pretty happy with how I played this game. I set up a, a loop to take care of the spectral shields, cost me some health. Um, and then I was my health was just a bit too low. It took me a little too long to clean up at the end. There's a second Genesis I cleaned up at some point. Um, I had outs at the end. He had things to punish me playing to my outs. So it, it probably looked like I lost pretty bad. I was really happy with how I played it, though. Like That was pretty... That's a game you expect to lose, I, mm -hmm. I would say, against Prism. Uh, and I did. So I ended up with a 13-3 and three record after Swiss, and I was the 2 seed. Extremely happy with, of course. It was pretty unreal at that point. Let's, uh, let's talk about top 8. So how did you feel about the bracket, on how the bracket was set up? I was definitely happy with it. It felt very similar to Nationals, yeah. where like the first round was... I felt favored. Probably less so after seeing Rob's deck list, but... The first matchup was kind of like, it could go either way. Like, should be tight. And then the second round, potentially free. And the third round felt favored. So it was, it was very similar. Like, I, I felt great about the bracket. Um, Happy Olden was on the other side. Was pretty confident one of the Icelanders would be in the final. I was always expecting <laughs> to be playing against Michael in the final. Even, like, before top. <laughs> I think that, uh, like, having second seed also, like, helps you a lot in the matchups that you had to play. Yes, especially the Fire Mirror. Yeah, because I had Fi, and then for Droma, it doesn't matter too much. That one would have been pretty free, hopefully. Uh, but against Briar especially, I think, yeah, going second's a huge difference maker. So yeah, I felt good. Um, 
one takeaway I had from Nationals, I guess you sit around for a long period of time between your games because they're all played one at a time. So for this event, I knew I definitely wanted to play practice games during that time. So shout out to you for, for being my practice partner. Yeah, we had like a funny takeaway when we were preparing for the five mirror, where mm. it's like you just don't block any of the hit triggers. Yeah, no, for sure. Because like our game plan was always like we let one mask of momentum through, right? Or something yeah. like that. But yeah, that, that one we practiced the most. We played, I don't know, maybe five or six games. And like the takeaway was, yeah, just like you can't block the hit effects. Just got to let RNG take the wheel. Yeah, let's talk about how that played out in the quarterfinals match. <laughs> yeah, that was a very spicy match. Yeah, so played against Rob, great opponent, cool guy. I think his list was very well set up to punish our strategy, um, which is interesting because it was quite a different strategy than what we were previously playing. So maybe he was like targeting other fives he's, he had seen because of his draw triggers that we we're talking about there. Uh, that game was like insanely tight. Uh, we both found good turns early. Like he had, I chose to go second. Should probably start there. I feel like my first turn was fine and I set like a spreading flames or something. Um, and then he had like a very strong second turn, but I had like a full combo line with spreading, flame call awakening, something like that. Um, so based on our practice games we just did, pretty much meant I have to sit there and only use my equipment to block hit triggers if I can help it. So I think we give up two, maybe one draw. I forget. Uh, the big moment is that he, yeah, that's what it is. I give up a, a mass trigger. Uh, he's able to like present something my armor can't cover. Um, There's a take the tempo. He draws take the tempo off of the mask. I let the take the tempo hit, and he gets an engulfing flame red red, flame wave red. Yep. Uh, which is pretty brutal. So at that point, I'm like, okay, that's bad. <laughs> but like, that's like I one more hit trigger than you're red than you're normally expected to take. That's correct. Yeah. But I have like a 30 damage hand that goes like minus seven if I block with for two. It's like I didn't have an option to block even if I wanted to. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, do our 34 damage, whatever it is, and then got to play to your outs from there, which is usually getting to that like grindy loop at the end. So I do that damage. I don't remember specifics too well right now, um, but I know the next turn he starts presenting lethal like I have to block. I think he goes to like three on my turn or something. Yeah. So I am just trying to find enough damage to take, to only have him maybe on a two card hand. I can survive the seven loop from what I remember, but I can't survive. Like, I probably lose anything more than that. Um, so basically it comes down to, does it engulfing flame wave hit something? Uh, if it does, then I probably have to, like, swing back with less and hope that he whips. But on the flame wave, he hits an artivore. So he basically just loses a draw there. It also meant that he had to threaten his mask of momentum trigger uh, with a phoenix flame. And I still had one block on my furnace. So yeah, definitely some good fortune there. Yeah, artivore is um, very awkward to draw at the end of the game when you can't hold your whole grip. Because yes, that, yep. it's neither three resources to like net you like playing a one cost plus weapon, and it's also not like a block. Yeah, no, he kind of gets double punished there. Um, so he doesn't draw, but the Artivore stays on top, and I know about it. So that means if I can get him on even three cards, like Artivore is not very good. I think that's what en ends up happening. Yeah, I think his last hand was like uh, it was like a brand with Cinderclaw, Artivore, Double Strike. Yeah, I've, before that, basically I survived the flame wave turn. Can't remember exactly what it was. Okay, so I had to decide between I could do two cards CNC for six, mm -hmm. and he's at three, or I could do a zero for four and set a zero for two, so that on my three card loop that I'm trying to get to, I have the finisher to take his last card. Um, he must have been at one. Do I 
present CNC to maybe get three cards if he has a bunch of two blocks? Or do I throw a zero for four, guarantee two, guarantee two cards, uh, and that's the line I take? Um, I must have had, I must have been at two because I wouldn't go to one and give him three cards. Yeah, I think you were at four and he was at three, and then you took the two to go to two. Because then I'm expecting him to go starter, weapon, block both of those with a three, hopefully, which is what happens. And then I take the flame to join at one. Which, again, I was kind of behind from the extra draw triggers. So I had to, I think that was my best way out. Just have to find two, three bucks there. If I don't, it's not like just over. It's just a little sketchy. Um, but I found the two, three bucks. So I'm able to keep two cards. And then I get to go, same thing, starter, loop, flame. So now he has one card left. And I have the, the zero for two set to get his last card. And then from there, I just, I looped until... I went wide enough to, to finish it. I think it was the next turn. I stayed like extremely focused and calm during the game, but as soon as it ended, I was like, <laughs> felt like all the nerves kind of like, it felt like I was going to lose that game multiple times. Yeah. It was, it was just so tight. Yeah. And then going into top four, uh, we only played maybe two or three Briar games just because it felt very like Brody was playing Briar. So like I had a ton of reps going into it. It felt very straightforward, the matchup. So pretty much just hope not to see CMH force of nature. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, out, that's just the, out damage with that's the kicker. <laughs> yeah, and then just out damage with our pouncing wings. So we sat down to play. Uh, Chris was a super nice guy. I had played against him once before in at Pro Tour New Jersey, but in the Ultimate Pit Fight side of it, mm -hmm. um, and we had a really good time. So I was like, I don't know, he's a nice guy. Is my takeaway. But we sat down to play. I choose to go second. I think it it gives like pretty significant edge in that matchup for for either deck. Yeah, he opened CMH on turn zero. So immediately I'm like, okay, I probably lose. Like, I think it immediately swings from like, maybe it was like 65-35 before mm -hmm. because I was going second. I think it immediately switches 65-35 his favor. So immediately I'm like, okay, this is bad, but how do I win? I think the answer is force a bunch of damage while he's not blocking and present lethal on my third. So that was the, the line I was initially playing for. So I have a fine crackback, do some damage, set a combo piece. He... <laughs> on his first real turn, fuses Force of Nature, and on that turn, I drew into the only Phoenix Flame in my deck, so the only zero block card. Art of War 2, but like, I could at least play the Art of War. So immediately, I'm like, okay, wow, I actually lose this game, but how do I win? And it's kind of the same takeaway. Like, I have to... I don't know. It was just... The first line was like... So he opens with, what, a, I think a Rabble, and shows me a Flex on top. So yeah. it's just like... It was already over at that point because I could I only had enough armor and cards to block one attack because of the Phoenix Flame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like I was just so a second attack is is a coax, and then I'm like, okay, I really lose this game. Yeah. Um, but always always trying to find the outs. Um, and that was a coax for ten because he played like a nimble two, and then got the embodiment. So I was just like, can't block this even if I wanted. So that one I just had to let hit. He gives us quicken tokens. He draws. It's all bad. It, it was just all bad. Like that's I, I probably talked more about this game than I needed to. If Friar draws CMH zero into um, Force of Nature and you can't block their draw triggers, you lose the game. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. And I lost the game. It's it's that simple. Like it, it was a high roll game. That's why you play Briar. That's part of the benefit of playing Fi. Like I had a high roll game we talked about earlier. It, it did feel like really bad to lose that way. Just at that level. Like, if it happens in Swiss, it's like, yeah, that happens. Mm -hmm. um, definitely felt a little frustrated after. It was just like, it got so close. I just wanted to, like, really play the game and shoot my shot, but not taking anything away from Chris. He, he played it great. He got 
He got his combo that he hopes to get. He was a very nice opponent to play with. So sometimes, sometimes the just doesn't work out. Yep. How do you feel about like combos like that existing in the game? And I mean, like, I I want to call off of like a combo kill, where the other player basically doesn't get to like do anything. Oh, it's tough. Because that, that is like one of the more absurd combos, just because you can go infinite with the draws. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Like, it's so low percentage. Like, if I if I don't draw the Phoenix Flame, yeah, I can at least block two draw triggers where I could only block one, how it worked out. Yeah. Um, and like, I probably survive at like 16 health or something, and like, we can play the game. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think the combos that exist currently are enough of an issue or like consistent enough. Like that was probably like sub 1% chance that that series of things lines up. Yeah. Um, and I think like prior does need that power spike available. Yeah. I don't know. That was, I just feel like that wasn't the, the best opinion. What do you, what are your thoughts on the topic? Um, I think that having combo kills in the game is not necessarily like a bad thing, but uh, I think the biggest, I guess, like point of frustration is when they basically happen in this, this game off of no setup. So like uh, with Viserai before, you you're like the only setup you really need is like one read with the runes and blitz, and you can kill them with like three three or four rune chance at the beginning of the turn. And with Briar, like the setup is you just have to have like Chenomar Horak and force of nature so you channel my horror the term before so it's like off of like vir virtually no setup i think that's like the only uh downside normally in other games when you have combo kills uh there's either like a hefty amount of interaction to stop it uh if it yep. is a combo that happens at the very beginning of the game or usually the combos take like a couple turns to build up into so you have like a little bit of time mm -hmm. um i think that leads to the most I think frustrating play patterns in this game where, yeah, I, I get the argument it's low percentage, but I would prefer if they made it so that these combos can exist, but just like take like maybe two or three turn cycles to set up. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cause like we, we were testing prior a bunch too. And like any game where you open channel mount turn zero into like anything good, you're like, okay, I would, this is yeah, great. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's the main my 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 main thing. I I I think that having having cool combos and powerful interactions is definitely a positive like a net positive in card games because a lot of people are really drawn to that kind of uh playstyle. You just have to make it so that it's n like usually the the formats like when Vizera was top deck and blitz where co the combo deck is the best deck are usually the ones where it usually turns a lot of people off from playing the game yeah no i can see that being an issue for sure yeah but i don't think i don't think briar is necessarily is like the best deck or I, yeah. even like most of briar's strength is not really from trying to like combo kill their opponents every game no, no 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 it's much more about heroic than drawing five cards with heroic. <laughs> yeah 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 um so the tournament your tournament essentially ends there oh. how how did you feel uh kind of after everything's all said and done like 
did you kind of have enough time to process it when you got to like the award ceremony when James was like giving out the trophies and stuff? Yeah, it was like very fast <laughs> processing of emotions. Yeah. Um, there was enough time. Like there's a whole finals game uh, before that, but it was like I went through the stages of grief multiple <laughs> times. Um, like immediately, it was like, I mean, the first thing I did it was like I tried to figure out like could I have won that game? Yeah. I, I think the answer is no. <laughs> All right. Um, and then the second thing was sadness. Just felt sad. Like felt like I had like a very real chance of winning the world championship, which is crazy. Like. Now that I'm back home at my desk, yeah, to think, um, I was that close. So I was sad at first, a little frustration for sure, which I guess is the anger. I wasn't angry, but it was like, man, that's a that's a rough way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, never, never angry, angry at my opponent. Um, just that, you know, losing. The hate that, the player, that hit the game. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just I'll just skip to the award ceremony. I, I kind of like. I was emotional for sure. Yeah, I wasn't like crying or anything, but it was, it was weird. Like I was so focused for so long and working towards this goal, and then it was just like abruptly over. So yeah, when the award ceremony was starting up, I mean, first it was it was so cool to be a part of that. Like it was, it felt very like rewarding to a lot of pride to like get to that spot. Um, mm -hmm. I was very happy that they did trophies for the top eight because I feel like the world is kind of like. Uh, like the culmination of your work from the entire year. Everyone's been grinding all these events to get their invite to worlds, to optimize their decks for worlds and that kind of thing. So it was super cool to get a trophy. Um, I was really excited to finally meet James. Like I've tried to go online and meet him. Oh, you were trying to get uh, yeah, you were trying to get I think something signed the last uh, at Lille, right? Um, so I've gotten stuff signed by James because friends have gotten it for me. Yeah, but you're... I, I just really wanted to to like say hi to the guy and be like, hey, you made a great game. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for doing that. Uh, so I was excited to meet James finally. But I was I was surprised when I we were like lining up to go on stage, like all I felt was annoyed. <laughs> like I was like looking at the bigger trophies and I was like yeah. I was just like very hungry to like keep playing and like showing like trying to win. It feels silly now, but like I legitimately just felt annoyed to like be up there, but not in a higher spot. Yeah. But then as soon as my name was called, it kind of like the annoyance faded, and it was nothing but excitement and like pride and happiness. Still very happy for Chris. It was cool. Like after the event, I heard like his like local community started posting that like he basically like runs their locals and gets new players in, and is like a great figure for the community. So I'm super happy to for him after hearing that. Yeah. I was already happy for him. Like he's a he's a nice guy, but yeah. Um, I was also very happy for Michael. Um, I was very disappointed not to get the Nationals rematch, but Michael's also a, a great guy and pleasure to play against. And everyone's been saying it, like he's just a great champion for the game. I do hope to to get a rematch for the title next year, though. We'll see. But yeah, no, I thought that was very cool to be a part of that ceremony and up on the stage. Yeah, maybe. And after that, we kind of go oh, go ahead. As I maybe if we keep the preparation up, game up, next for a tour. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt extremely prepared. Like, I, I really do think we did a good job. But, you know, after that, we had a little dinner celebration with the team, with friends, and we got milkshakes. So then I was off to the airport to, to sleep on the plane and get back to work. <laughs> Over, overall, as kind of like a end of year recap for uh, Flesh and Blood, like, how, how did you feel about all of the events that you played this year? And um kind of just like how the game has progressed from uh when you first started playing mm, good questions what was the first big event of the year 
the first big event of the year uh i mean it was the first the pro tour new jersey was like at the middle of the year uh and okay before... oh i think philly was in february right yeah for the okay was, like, I'll, the, yeah i'll start battle there Harden. yeah so battle hard in philly i was still playing chain and that was when starvo first <laughs> popped up <laughs> yeah yeah and i remember playing through swiss and like everyone was winning with starvo i was like was this better than we thought yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we were aware that it was good but it was like and then I got to top eight of that event. I think my best finish previously, I got tenth place at nationals mm -hmm. last year. But I, I like I lost two rounds too early or something before my last loss. So like I knew I didn't have a chance at topping. Yeah. Um I was playing Battle Hard and I snuck in eight seeds to top eight there. And my bracket was three Starvos. And at that point I was like so confident. I was like, I'm gonna take all these Starvos down. It's gonna be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, losing the finals to a Starvo. Yep. <laughs> Get rolled. That was my first kind of like taste at almost winning an event. Bigger than like Rotanats, ProQuest, I've won those. So I think that kind of started my hunger of like, man, I want to I wanna win. What else? Pro Tour Jersey was kind of more of the same. I played Chain there as well. I was like actually really happy with how I played. That format, I was not a fan of. Mm -hmm. It was all CC and it was like almost only played against Starbo and Chain and either matchup just feels like you're you're flipping coins. And like this the skill gap isn't really there as much. Yeah, I think one thing that I guess I wanna say about particularly the tier was it tier four? What is what are Pro Tours and, and Worlds? I think, I think tier fours. Yeah, all the tier Correct. four tournaments are always at the end of the format. And so the end of the format I think is usually when the player skill gap is the smallest because the format is kind of figured out and like by and large. So if you had even, for example, taken like US Nationals, US Nationals the, at the time, the format was a little bit explored, but not fully developed out. I think by the time it gets to Worlds, or like you said, during the Starbo format, by the time it gets to, um, to Pro Tour New Jersey, Everybody kind of like has figured out like this is like how you should build chain. This is how you should build Starvo, and so yep. any kind of like edges that you get as like trying to be like innovative or whatever is lost um, when you're playing like the mirrors. Kind of, kind of comes down to whether or not you're drawing like the right cards for the matchup. Yeah, that was what was especially annoying at Jersey. Shout out to Joe Clone and Cody Williams with the hyperloops. Like. They kind of spearheaded the chain deck building efforts uh, for that I was a part of at least as long as chain existed. And we had like I, I felt like we always had the best build. And then I think Cody, what was that when he he played Michael Hamilton like the calling finals or something, or I think his nationals run maybe. I don't know. He he spiked an event and then everybody took our chain list and yeah. like made tweaks, but it was like our list at the core and all of our tech for the mirror was now played by everyone and I lost to it a couple times. Uh, but I think I ended up, I think I went 4-3 both days. Like my takeaway was kind of like, okay, I'm like, I'm a pro tour competitor. I had a positive record overall in each day. Like that's pretty good. So yeah. I wasn't like disheartened. What else? I think previously, like, like last year I had topped a bunch of like ProQuest and RTNs and maybe I like top four split. I don't think I actually won any. Where like this year I won a bunch of them, so like I, I like clearly could tell that like okay I'm I'm performing better I'm competing better. Yeah. Um, I think the next big one Pro Tour Lil that was right after okay so that was after Chain is no longer a deck. Yeah, which I think I, were, I played. I was gonna say I think you and Chain were playing Combo Fi. Yeah, yeah. So I I played Chain 
for his entire existence. I never played anything else in a competitive event. Um, deck was too good. Yes, so it's like a couple weeks before, I'm like, I don't know what to play. Maybe I'll just default to Briar because like, it's proven good deck. Yeah. I hated it. <laughs> I drew too many of the like all non-attack hands. I'm like, I can't play this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Cody was like, you should just play Fi and get free wins against Prism. And I was like, you know what? I should do that. Um, so I heard Shane, our teammate, had a really spicy Fi list that was doing well. Uh, I hit him up for it. I started testing. I was like, wow, this is great. We've reverted back to part of those at, at Worlds, where it's like you use your pouncing links for things like yellow belittle and a yellow starter, if that's what you need. It's just like utility to make sure you don't have any off turns. Yeah. Um, but this list was like all in on combo. We were playing like Blossom of Spring. Yeah, the uh, Stubby Hammers were banned at that point, but we're, it, was, it was all out combo. That event, what happened? Okay, so that was a draft CC event as well. I go 0-2 in draft on Dromai. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is awful. The third game, I like forget that Ashwings have Phantasm. I remember it pretty vividly. And like, I almost, I should have lost because of that, but then my opponent like full whips. So I like barely end up one and two and still alive. And then I go like, oh, I definitely go 4 0 or 5 0 with Phi. I remember that. And then I draft again and I go 2 1, I believe. I don't know. The, the end result is that like, I fight for top eight for quite a while. Uh, there's like two or three rounds left, and then I play against our buddy John Magnuson or J Max mm-hmm. on Oldham on stream, and like I feel good about the matchup, and I just get completely rolled. Everything on my end goes as bad as it possibly could, and he just has consistent loops of damage and disruption, and that knocks me out of top eight. I finished top 32 there, which I felt very good about. Like it covered most of the the trip to Europe, which was super cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then I was like, okay, like, we're ramping up, um, still playing well. Top 32, I feel like, is everyone's, like, realistic goal at these these majors. Yeah, I think if you can so, consistently top 32, you're, like, quite a good player. Oh, for sure. And I think we might have known at that point that ELO mattered for Worlds. I don't know. Either way, I was, like, excited because I went, like, X1 in CC or something. Yep. So I was like, ELO's going to be good. Then we get to Nats. That's when you kind of start helping us on the Fi deck we've covered this a bunch but i think we really like perfected that deck for that event Mm -hmm. and i won't go through all of that we've done that already but i I spike that event more or less i lose to michael in the finals and i'm like okay this is real we can uh there's a lot of validation right we obviously make like a lot of sacrifices missing like events with friends or just hanging out and stuff to practice and go to these events all the time yeah it was very validating that like everyone was supporting me from home and almost won the thing so it it felt very good and i was like okay there's always like thoughts of like maybe this was like a we got lucky this one event might take a while to get back and then to get back right back to like I also like <laughs> I like speed run speed ran the events it felt like like in Swiss it was like nationals I went eleven and zero like mm-hmm. I I just kept winning until I was the one seed yeah, and then yeah, I rested yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then worlds was like I dropped one game but I was the first to lock top eight like I don't know it just felt obviously there's a lot of luck involved there but it felt really good to kind of like be able to to navigate Swiss so well. Yeah, I don't know. I guess what I was trying to say is like the first topping of a major felt like, okay, maybe it's got lucky where the second one was like, okay, I'm going to lean like even harder into this game and like keep practicing. Like I bought a Peloton and I'm working with a, a fitness friend to try and address some of these like fatigue issues I've been having. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just to go all in on, on trying to play this game at the highest level I can. I forget the other questions, but I feel great about that shit. I love this game. 
Sounds good. Is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap this episode up? Yeah, I just have a pretty long thank you list I'd, I'd love to read through. Yeah, go ahead. It's kind of like too much to post on Twitter. I tried to thank some people. Yeah. So like first I got to thank Shane and Brody. Like it was it was kind of difficult to like balance like forming this this team at the time and bringing in the right people to test with and executing that testing. I think we all just did a really good job and I definitely attribute the majority of my successes the last two events to to you guys. Big thanks to the testing partners who worked for this event. That was Sean Yang, Aaron Chance, Nathan LaFam, and Young Ji Yang. Kind of just echoing what I said about the team. Like, they put in a ton of work with us. We all worked really well together. Like, couldn't have done it without them either. Oh, special shout out to, to you, of course, again, for being my, my practice partner day three. It's, it was really helpful to kind of like, one, stay loose, but also like, stay mentally engaged. I think yeah. the issue at Nationals was that like, I mentally disengaged because I was like, sitting around for so long. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, and like let the tired hit me. It was just like really good to kind of reinforce the strategies that we've we've talked through and it made the games easier to play. Like it was like this, this is the concrete game plan. It's not like I don't know, we just like understood how the game would most likely play out and made it easier to play under pressure. Yeah. Big shout out and thanks to the Hyperloops community. Joe and Cody again, like pre runaways, that was where I did all of my testing and prep is just a, a great community if you're looking for kind of a large group to be a part of learn to get better that kind of thing that's where i learned how to play flesh and blood and i definitely credit like all of my early success to that community i learned how to pitch stack with chain it's numbers oh my god it's so much time pitch, yeah <laughs> joe joe gives a great lesson on pitch stacking chain yeah, yeah huge thanks to all my my friends and family supporting watching at home i don't think they listen to attack for 20 but that's okay so you gotta get them on um, it get them on the podcast <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. I, I think it, normally the episodes are a little bit too. If you're not playing the game a little bit too, uh, too deep. Yeah. I mean, they all want to understand the the game better so they can know what's happening on this. Uh, yeah. Huge thanks to my wife Brooke, of course, uh, for all her support. Wouldn't be able to do any of this without her. She probably won't hear this either, unless you can hear me from the other room. Um, <laughs> but I have to put that in there. Everyone that came up to me at the event, like, just really appreciated it. Like, lots of people offered advice or encouragement and. Either just told me they were rooting for me, either because they love fire, or they they like the way I play the game. Lots of people shared that they were using our deck list uh, for whatever event they were playing. I apologize if I like kept things short at times or anything like that. I'm just when I'm like live in a tournament, I'm extremely dialed and like winning is the only thing that matters. And like <laughs> my mind is very focused on just doing whatever makes the most sense to win. It's okay, Dan. The next time when you win the pro tour, we'll just do like a Q and A session before like the tournament for the following event wait wait i didn't follow that so like when you got famous because you win the next pro tour we'll host oh, the Q we'll host q a session <laughs> and, then, and then you can answer everyone's questions sure sure um but yeah keep, keep saying hi if you feel obligated at events i definitely appreciate it i kind of triggered a thought one thing to want to go back to more in terms of like teammates and hyperloops offering advice like throughout the different days like i think what i've been doing extremely well at Nats and Worlds is just kind of latching on to those things. Like when we were playing our games and figuring out optimal strategy for the top eight matches, like pretty much like every tip or strategy that was discussed during the tournament, I like retained extremely well and used almost all of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I read a, like a insightful, uh, I guess, piece of information where I don't know if you follow basketball, but 
Uh, I follow the NBA pretty hard, and I think Steph Curry was doing like an interview, and he was saying that all of like the crazy like dribble moves or whatever, all the crazy shots that he takes, those are all things that he doesn't practice. So it's like I think that applies for like anything that you do, where if you're in like a high pressure situation, just like having gone through like the situations before and being like, this is what I got to do, makes it so that it looks you're like coming coming up with it like on the fly, but it's actually like something that you've practiced beforehand. Yeah, even just discussing like specific scenarios. Like I remember <laughs> it was like talking about my Joe, my deck, and Joe specifically said something like, if you can, when you play Mirror Guy into Ember Maw for eight, it's like pretty backbreaking. <laughs> and I like did that exact thing. And I was like, yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, big thanks again to Equinox Gaming and Fabric uh, for hosting us. Very appreciative of that. I have to thank LSS. I think the event, like outside of venue reception, whatever, uh, was it was incredibly well done. I had pretty high expectations just around like the feel of the event. Like I felt like the first pro tour specifically felt like prestigious and it was like extra cool to be a part of. And I think they really crushed it with making uh, worlds feel like a step above pro tours. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so cool to be a part of it. Uh, and then last thank you goes out to the entire commentary team. Just want to give them a, a ton of credit. They do a great job. And it's it's always like such a pleasure to be able to rewatch the event when you're able to make a good run like this. Super appreciative of of like the ongoing kind words that they've they've had uh, for me. But like it really just makes it so special to be able to go back and like relive these moments in the events and the commentators like really make that happen, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And like when I'm at these events, like I, I said earlier, like I'm just so focused on playing the best I can and I don't really you don't really get time to enjoy the ride. Not always at least. And it's just nice to be able to go back later and uh and and like watch it. So yeah, big thanks to every everybody for supporting. All right. Uh and I think that is all we really have time for for this episode. Sorry, it's taken such a long time to get going. I think I kind of like mentally checked out after Worlds for like a while. Just like didn't want to really do anything. Me too. I haven't really played any Flesh and Blood since. Yeah, uh, but we'll uh, be doing weekly episodes or I'll be doing weekly episodes uh, from like resuming. Uh, pretty exciting. I think I'm going to be taking uh, a look at some of the cards in dynasty and then trying to go over maybe like some kind con- some like sort of more like deck building fundamentals i think that's something that people have a lot of uh issues adjusting with especially if you're coming over to flesh and blood from a different game flesh and blood's a little bit different when it comes to deck building than other games and also i think i'm planning to well I think we're planning to do some more content on the Runaways YouTube channel, so make sure that you check that out. Uh, definitely want to do some some streams and maybe some uh, compilations of, of videos from the streams just to help everybody kind of figure out uh, the new format before ProQuest season. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, see you guys on the next one.